This is the At 530 on Main podcast. I'm Sean Collins. And I'm Mike Davis. And we're here to discuss the convergence of digital and physical experiences in today's world. With Extend Group as an expert in designing online experiences and VPS Architecture, an expert on creating physical experiences, you will hear unique discussions on technology, theory, and more that merges our separate areas of expertise into one podcast experience. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy today's At 530 on Main podcast episode. All right. Welcome to At 530 on Main. March Madness kicked off yesterday. Actually, day before the playing games, right? Wednesday? No, yesterday. Yesterday was the official. No, yesterday started the tournament. Round well, what one. What about the playing games? They don't count. They don't count? Get rid of them. Okay. And see you blame. Again, moronic bureaucrats. <laughs> Ruin everything. Hey, it's two more teams traveling across they, the U.S. Yeah. What can be wrong they, with that? Yeah, look at what happened with Indiana. Oh, what here we go. Indiana excuses already. Indiana excuses coming out. Oh, they had to play in Dayton. Then they had to go here. Well, no, then they they didn't get their flight, so they didn't get in until 4 in the morning because their flight was screwed up. They so, fly yeah. to Dayton? No, they flew out, flying out of Dayton yeah. to Portland. Portland. Oh, they and they, fly to Portland? And so their plane was the wrong plane, so they had to wait in the airport, and they didn't get to Portland until 4 in the morning. So you didn't get the memo. Indiana like, fans are upset. With this whole oh, thing. I'm, I'm unencumbered by, by collegiate sports. No, I'm glad uh, everybody's wearing the maize and blue. Today. Well, the whole thing was like, what a bunch of BS that you even have these playing games. I get it. It was a money grab, but it was initially the two teams that were going to play the 16 seed. That's how they started. That's hey, you, you, you have to be able to p- pay the NIL now. Did you see? Uh, I mean, we're we're starting this podcast early, and I haven't even done the introduction, but. The NIL, there's a college football player yet to be named with a university yet to be named that has already secured freshmen through his junior year $3.5 million and is paid right now $350,000 right off the bat. Five-star coming in. It was kind of always going on. It just wasn't publicly acknowledged, Yeah, Yeah. especially in some of the powerhouse. Except now it's official. So what's yeah. the next thing that's going to? Well, come? you can you can now tax that, and so right. it's much better all the way around. So I, yeah, until I just get, wish it had been acknowledged as being professional sports a long time ago. Until <laughs> these kids get sued to pay it back because they don't make it on the field. Please let's not go down this rat hole. Okay, we're I, gonna, I have no, I have no. We are going <laughs> to turn around. Beep 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 beep. I don't have the uh, audio, you know, buttons to play the reverse sound, but we are at at five thirty on Main Podcast here at five thirty Main Street, Evansville, Indiana, with uh, a wonderful group this morning. Already kicking off some passionate conversations in the Extension Studio at 530 on Main's brought to you by VPS Architecture and Extend Group. We're here to talk about the word experience today with Drew Perrinen. Drew, for the first time I have bullet points. I mean, went in and boom, always seeking opportunities to drive a culture of innovation in my community, region, and state. Trained in science and medicine. Business experiences ranging from sole proprietor to public, traditional to technology, lifestyle to scalable, three decades of volunteerism in support of a stronger community, and insustainable lifelong learner in search of 
Life's Next Lesson. See, I end up messing them up every time anyway. So, Drew, tell us about the Drew experience. Tell us how, how it's been. Tell us the ride. Well, Introduce yourself to the listeners. Um, I'm self-diagnosed uh, late in, a, in life as having a severe case of ADD, uh, which becomes very apparent when you look at my uh, resume or more appropriately my experiences. And one thing is since we're talking about experiences, you know, ADD, um, I see it as a, actually a superpower rather than any kind of a disability, but it um, affords you the opportunity for lots of experiences. Yeah. Unfortunately, it robs you uh, of the opportunity to become an expert in much. Um, so that's kind of a nice predicate for my comments. Uh, I disavow expertise in anything, and so you can't hold me accountable for anything I say. <laughs> it's just musings. <laughs> so the master of one is, you know, that that whole uh, saying is actually backwards from what I understand. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be life would be very boring for me if um, if I... Uh, had been on the path of being an expert. I mean, just the way my brain works, it would be very um, unfulfilling. Yeah. Yeah, you get bored. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. You get bored after a while. You're like, oh my gosh, I got to spend another year on this problem. Going to tech, you know, if if I, I loved Flash, I can't imagine being a Flash developer today. <laughs> if I was an expert in Flash, if I spent, you know, that 10, 15 years becoming an expert, in Flash, Macromedia Flash back in the day, man. Be a bullet point on your resume, too. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Blip. Oops. Yeah, that didn't work. Thanks, iPhone. Next. But, yes, I mean, this is a, a wonderful way to, to, to get it started. Uh, sometimes in the descriptions we have, you know, two pages. Sometimes we have the bullet points, and, and I do appreciate the uh, – exactness, but the broadness of the details that you've provided. So three decades of volunteerism in support of a stronger community. Tell us about a few of those, uh, those steps, those experiences. Well, I grew up in a a home where um, my father and mother were very committed to helping in the community. And so it certainly was by example that that came and my first career was as a uh, veterinary practitioner, sole, pro- sole proprietor. And as professionals know, uh, any time that they have is the only thing that they get paid for. <laughs> and so it, it was a, as a sole, sole practitioner, um, it was really difficult to uh, take time away from that when you're trying to build a practice uh, to give back to the community. So I always you know, felt some... Uh, remorse that I wasn't able to do that. And when I switched careers, um, it did afford me the opportunity to make more choices about community support. So um, I'm, I'm trying to remember the first involvement, but uh, you know, I, I was involved with the Community Foundation, uh, and ours in this region is quite unique in that it's, uh, it's one of the most enduring collaboration, regional collaborations, but it's nine counties that um, are under an umbrella of uh, the Community Foundation Alliance. Um, so I was involved as as a member of the Vandenberg Community Foundation and um, and also at the alliance level. Um, and I, you know it was a wonderful experience because it, it was um, the director at the time, executive director was Marilyn Clank, and she was um, really brilliant and really accomplished. And 
really innovative. So it was, there were great lessons to, to come from that. And I think probably the other one that was, you know, really pivotal for me was involvement with the YMCA. And that, again, is an organization that has, um, it was very well organized, very well operated, uh, relied a lot on national uh, resources to, you know, best practices. And I, I learned so much about um, board development, uh, organizational governance. Um, I learned a lot about strategic planning and I mean, just fill in the blanks. And um, I met my wife that way too. So it was um, the, the greatest reward that <laughs> you could get from service. But it's, you know, all those things have taught me that um, the community is filled with um, well-intentioned people that are very generous in not only their material with their material resources, but their time. And so it's, it's gratifying. It's been rewarding, but um, it, I see it as kind of an obligation of being here on earth to, to look for opportunities to do that. And I care deeply about Evansville and, and the community. With looking at, you know, your first bullet point says seeking opportunities to drive a culture of innovation. Um, cultures and, you know, an interesting word to me, but innovation as a creative pioneer is always uh, at the forefront. Mike and I actually both. What is culture of innovation? Well, um, I think, you know, I said it would be tremendously boring for me to be uh, an expert. I think um, true purgatory for me would be living or working in an environment where I would say, this is how we've always done it and we can't do it any better. And I, I hope it's not, you know, a quirk of mine. I hope it's a, a, a good attribute. But I spend probably an, an inefficient amount of time um, on almost any task figuring or thinking, you know, is there a better way to do it? And I know one of the the changes, in, I mean, our world has always been um, a place of change. That's yeah. human, human nature. But there's certainly good evidence that the pace of change is accelerating. And so it's, to me, it's, it's very critical that as a community, if we want to remain economically viable, um, that the culture, we all need to be thinking every day, uh, is what is the way I'm doing this or is what I'm doing going to be um, positioning me to be relevant and successful uh, tomorrow, <laughs> right? even tomorrow, or is it going to position me that way in five years or 10 years, given the, the context of, of what I know today. So it, it, and innovation fundamentally to me is doing more with less. And even if it's not in response to um, being able to be competitive, it just, it's the right way to, it's the right way to pursue uh, life and living to me. And, and, you know, I mean, innovation doesn't, I think there's a big distinction between technology and innovation, and technology enables innovation, but it, it doesn't define it. Um, so innovation, to me, can even filter down to some things that might be a little surprising to some, but I, I think, you know, there's innovation in interpersonal relationships, for instance. Um, there's innovation potentially in faith and religion, uh, which, you know, <laughs> yes. that, that may be surprising, a surprising thought to some people. But there should be, I think, in everybody's mind, uh, an ongoing thought process about how can I be more effective, uh, more efficient, 
better outcomes, more impact uh, from everything I do. So, and it's cultural. You know, if, if you live in a community that that uh, is anchored in the past as as being the only way forward, it just doesn't bode well for uh, for anybody that lives in that community. The biggest hurdle there is uh, people that don't want to change, right? Not being adaptable. So you have certain percent of the population that's go, go, go. I mean, I think you can tell in Evansville, there's a lot of that, right? There's the people we want to be like bigger cities or we want to define who we are. We want to be this, that, that and all, and everybody else is going, I just want to stay how it is. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think there's an important distinction that also that um, change for the sake of change is not necessarily a good thing. And, and the traditions are important and respect for the way things are done. And I mean, you see that in the emergence of uh, appreciation for crafts, uh, for, you know, for this, for skills related to crafts um, and craft foods and uh, craft art and craft everything uh, does celebrate the traditions of the way things are done. So I think it's, you know, you have to be careful um, of discarding uh, the past just for the, the sake of change. But yeah, it's, it, I think that the other thing that, that I, I'm fascinated by the way the brain works, and one concept that was introduced to me years ago was uh, a guy named Howard Gardner, who's an educational psychologist, and he proposed that a theory of distinct intellects, and he, he compartmentalized intellects. And it always seemed odd to me, uh, especially in the university setting, to be around um, eminent scholars uh, that couldn't bounce their checkbook. You know, I mean, the, that's just an example. And they say, oh, you lack, lack common sense. But Gardner took it beyond that, that there actually are, are compartments. And I uh, like linguistic and, and computational and, and kinesthetic. Um, and I, when I started to think about that in the context of how people are different, uh, it's, it helped me. And I think, you know, when as having been an employer, um, you know, I see, have seen the range of people that, that enjoy and, and um, uh, embrace risk, for instance, and people that like very structured outcomes. And so, you know, I, I don't know how much of that being rooted in the past is, is embedded in the way that people's brains work, and not as a criticism to that. That's just, that's just the way their brains work. What power is there in knowing what that group looks like? Because that's the thing that I'm, I'm interested in today. You know, Mike was talking about there's a lot of people in Evansville that want this change, that seek this change, right? Uh, but I truly believe that that's rooted in in your tribe and who you, you know, associate yourself with, right? Um, there are a lot of people in our region that do want this to be the same. And if you go to the stuff that we've been learning, we'll know that immediately out of Myers-Briggs and, you know, giant, 72% wake up today thinking about today. And that's, that's it. 72% wake up today and say, you know what, how am I going to grow my relationships? 43% of them base their day on how they're going to make other people feel, how they're going to lift them up. And then you have the 30 plus percent that are on the other side going, what systems and processes do I have in place today that are going to make everything run seamlessly? Like my list is so important. I already have those things, and that change is absolutely painful to both of those. That, the other part, the 28% wake up dreaming and driven by. I think you bring up a really important point and something that I've 
come to appreciate. And that, I mean, I was introduced to the concept of neurodiversity and, and that we are, you know, I mean, Howard Gardner kind of was on that same path, but yeah. we are, we all exist on some spectrum of how our brains function. And, you know, I, I, as I reflected on that and when you're, you know, say if you're maybe in the Asperger um, end of that spectrum, yeah, uh, you, you ch you're challenged sometimes with interpersonal skills and with social context and all. And I think about people that I, I know that I suspect may fit that bill. And I, I think of uh, if you can't understand social context, if you can't understand or if you don't really process humor the right way or the same way I do, um, it's easy for me to, to say, well, you're just not a very nice person or whatever. And, and if, you, if you back up and say, wait a minute, uh, that's the brain that they're that God gave them. And that's the way that brain functions. Um, they're not malicious in, in their actions. Um, I think it, you know, creates more empathy, but what, you know, what you're talking about too, I, I don't think you can squeeze a square peg in a round hole yeah. and it's a fool's errand to try to do that. And so I think the, you know, the important part of that is, um, to embrace that people's neurologic function is on a spectrum and that not everybody is in the same place you are. And so, it, you know, I think when you, when I talk about a, a culture of innovation, um, I, I was advanced or the, the idea was advanced to me in a presentation one time about, uh, arms open to all that work with the willing, you know, you, yeah. you can't convince everybody, <laughs> but you want to, you want to, uh, always welcome, always be in a position of welcoming, welcoming them, um, to your world. Should they see the value or, or the uh, importance of that you do. And, you know, that, that then challenges to, you know, how do the, the leaders bubble up that push innovation? It's, it's, in, I'm listening to a book called Calm and it's about the, the introvert leader. And, you know, this individual, I uh, can't remember who the author's name is. I'll have to put it in the, the notes. Uh, but I'm, I would listen to it on the way to North Carolina and back, have about an hour left. But, the extreme innovators were and are at this point introverts, you know, uh, Einstein, introvert, Jobs, inter like the people that we think of are actually introverted, but we grow up in that extrovert society where like she, she goes into a deep dive of Harvard Business School and the expectation of being an extrovert and the expectation of driving success through the relationships that are being built right there in the connections. And she walks up on the campus and they're talking, she was like, you know, I'm doing a book on introversion and innovation and, and like all these people are like, well, if you find an introvert here at Harvard business, like good luck, like you found, you know, the needle in the haystack. And it's, we need, and we, we teach this, that, that innovation, that 28% is really good for that startup. And then we get into that middle that needs scaled, that really needs those systems and processes that are happening, to the, happening today. And having that, that empathy to go, that's my success over there. I do have to spend about 30% of my day over here with them making my dream come true because I, th those little details that 
that 72% wake up every morning challenging. Why are we going to change? What are we going to do? Whatever. In order for us to break through, the most effective communicators are that nurturer guardian. Because when we answer all their questions, we connect. Like if we were in a pitch and it was like literally a demographic of 100, if we let them guide our pitch as innovators, all the questions that they would ask would already be on the table and they would be communicating in a way. But typically we don't ask them to do that because it is their 30. It's their 30 minus instead of their 70 plus. And that community of, of innovation is, you know, going back to, I think it's where we, where we are at with our groups, um, going back to a podcast that we had, you know, sometimes that change is like Mike and I have been, you know, pushing for change in this community for a long time. Like we need this and we need this and we need this and we need this and then we need this. But if you were to stop and actually look around and see the change that's actually happened over the last 10 years by just simply walking these streets, like we keep pushing for more, but when you bring the people, some people, I mean, I know you have your own experiences. You're trying to bring people here through family and relationship. And we're saying we're not quite there yet, but some that are here going, like, you guys just don't know what you have. You need to quit complaining. Right. Yeah, I heard you mentioned that on a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. But you have the, the experience of you have, you know, family in Colorado trying to bring some here and, there is that inside of, you know, that tech community. I, you know, I also have a, a, some benefit because my wife and I have had an RV for about um, 12 years now. And, and we've been to, I've been at least to 38 states. And, um, you know, the most beautiful places in the country and the, the most uh, desirable places in the country, according to a lot of people. And it, it doesn't matter where I go. Um, I see the positives here. You mentioned Colorado. I mean, yeah, the mountains are, are pretty spectacular, but um, they don't match the trees that we. Yeah, <laughs> it's, right. It's, it's dry and brown, and you know, it's fifty shades of brown in, in the on the front range of Colorado. Um, so it it has its uh, its attributes, but you know, we we do miss, and I think that's natural. I, one of the most beautiful places I've ever been is, is to Ireland, and it's so stunning to me. And I've only been there for short periods of time, and I've, I've asked. Uh, natives said, "Do you see the beauty around you?" And the, the overwhelming answer is no. You become habituated to it. Yeah. And I think that that's just human nature. But certainly, it's it's abundant in Evansville. <laughs> I'm going to ask a really like I don't know a lot about this. Like there was it was from a, a peer on social media, but there's this this mindset that the future is present now because we've basically went through so much evolution that we're kind of we are back to relationship, it's like everything that's there. So future present, like there is no like future. Like we, the innovation that we're seeing basically gets to next. So when you say we get, we get numb to what we have around us, like what's your thought about this future present mindset? Have you? I don't know. I, I'd, I'd have to uh, study a little bit more. I mean, uh, to me, the, yeah. fu the future starts tomorrow. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know if I understand the concept you're you're hallucinating, but I, you know, I, I did have. Um, I'm hallucinating. Uh, <laughs> e e e hallucinating. <laughs> I need to. 
I need to be a little more articulate. <laughs> no, anyway. there's a lot of people that say he hallucinates. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, not since college, anyway. <laughs> um, but I, I had a, a great opportunity to, to have a good friend whose job was as a futurist. And uh, I mean, it's fascinating to talk to people that are embedded in that space on a, um, a really deep basis. And, um, you know, that I have the intellectual capacity that far exceeds mine, you know, to, to yeah. analyze that. But, um, but you know, there's certainly um, when you have a conversation with an individual like that, I mean, it's, it's stunning. Now, you know, there's also I think it's the the Gardner uh, hype curve or whatever. Yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, there 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 tends to be a lot of hype around the future. I think, and it, it all collapses uh, when you know people are like, "Well, what the heck do we do with this?" Uh, and, and then it emerges again after that collapse when people actually develop use cases for it. So, yeah, uh, I, don't I don't know that. Yeah, it's the from what I understand. Like, if you look at time. We're basically like music. If you go, if you were to listen to music that right. we are creating today, and you put it back to a '90s or an '80s, like you can't distinguish it. Like the '40s, '50s, '60s, you could see the difference. Mm-hmm. Now it's just this this blend. If you look at art, if you look at media, if you look at movies, yeah, except for the fact that that's intentional. You read well, about and, and until transhumanism starts to to get here, and, and we now have we can hear beyond the frequency we can now and see beyond the spectrum we have. You know, yeah. Well, well say, 4K, it? right? What's after the 4K TV? There yeah. was like we said, you know, when they introduced 4K TV, it was like your eye cannot distinguish any more than this frame per second at right. this light. Da, da, da. But we keep innovating TV, saying that it's better. Yeah, but where I was going with that, especially in music, right? Mm-hmm. And if you look at people that are studying music, what they're doing is they're taking music and saying, this is the rhythm that people like in their cars and will listen to and purchase and buy. And so everything matches selling the music, not people creating the music. And so that's when you have like an Ed Sharon that's an anomaly, totally throws out their curve and like, this doesn't work. It doesn't go into. Th-. And so that's why most of it is all this computer programmed sound. That's why it's indistinguishable because you don't have people in the studio with instruments creating new sounds. And so it's harder and harder for that because every, even movies, even movies are designed to like they're doing it now. Where Where's our demographic that we're going to make the most money? That's who they're selling to. And that's how they design their movie instead of an actual good story with good acting. I, two, three weeks ago, I was <laughs> I went to Puckett's Market in Leapers Fork, Tennessee which is kind of a storied place, apparently, and it's an old uh, country market, but uh, it's a pro- performing venue, and you, you get meet and three um, for for your meal, and they have yeah. an open mic on Thursday nights, and, yeah, I mean, the, the bartender, uh, you know, was yeah. better. <laughs> he was astounding, and, and uh, you know, there were 20 people, and none of the, well, a couple of them that were commercial successes, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, that's always there, there was a really interesting documentary I saw called the I think it's called The Merchants of Cool, and it was around the the concentration of um, the media industry and, and how you know most um, stars are made, uh, they're, they're packaged yes. and made, yeah, uh, not organically uh, derived. So, yeah, the algorithm when it's sort, and that's why it was always. Going back to one of your what what you said earlier about traditions and history and and 
you just see that, you know, and the, and the way we learn or the way we learn best or the way we imitate best is I've learned, uh, you start here and you got to imitate, then you can innovate. And I think we have so many people that want to just jump to innovation. They have no understanding, even our leaders, they have no understanding of history or past or why things are that they just want to change everything. Well, let's change everything. Well, you know, they don't even know why <laughs> things are the way they are. It sells. <laughs> yeah. That's a, but that's part of the problem, right? Sells. Yeah. Right? I think, I think we had a time in history where we stopped learning about history. We stopped learning how things were done, and you get these people. And then it becomes more prevalent right through social media. Like, hey, look at Steve Jobs. He didn't do this or that. Yeah, well, you're not Steve Jobs. You're not Einstein. You're not this. But people are trying to be this, right? They're trying to be those people and just innovate, and they have no understanding how to do or why behind what they're doing. Are you doodling over there? I'm doodling. No, I'm actually you, taking notes. You can do that on a podcast. You, you couldn't do that on a video screen. No, it's on video. It's on video. It's on video. Right there. Look, we're doing oh video right Oh, my God. Now. They know. The, oh, well, I'm glad I didn't make any uh, improper gestures. <laughs> no, it is... Uh, Right there. Yeah. Is anybody watching? Right now. Oh, it's not live. Oh, excellent. We haven't done that. So it can be edited. Oh, thank God. (laughs) No, it needs to go live. I'm I'm ready to push the button. If I hit go live right there, it would go right to our YouTube channel. Yeah. But sometimes there's not that comfort level to be on. And (laughs) I'm like, you know what? Someone with the delay button. Yeah. Uh, What'd they just say? Beep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's there. It's captured if we ever need it for yeah. social media. So that's all Wi Fi. Or a deposition. Yeah. <laughs> so that's Wi Fi to that little blue box. Oh, see that little blue light underneath like the yeah. uh, blue lights are very soothing to me. <laughs> yeah. So Sling Studio has us connected. Always have a backup. So we've talked a lot around the words and all the questions that we normally ask, but when we, when what we've been talking about is is the experience mm-hmm. of everything around us, people, innovation, whatever. Um, those last thirty three minutes went through. What's the word experience mean to you? I was hoping you'd ask that. You knew I was. I gonna think I'm going to take listener. you on a different path. All right. You know, I love this. Trained in science. Yeah. And you know, so I, I started thinking, just so the audience knows, um, this is not a cold question. But mm-hmm. I started thinking about that and how I might answer it a little bit differently. And so I, I started thinking about it from because I'm very interested again in how the brain works. And I started thinking about it from the brain's standpoint of what an experience is. And fundamentally, our brains are just marvelous computing devices and they're attached to an array of sensors. And those sensors feed uh, sensing data to our brains. And then through a a series of neuromodulators, our brains respond to those signals. And then through some other magic, uh, those become embedded as memories. So it's an interesting biochemical process. And uh, when you look at that, people can have the same experience and have a different uh, recollection or a different perception of it. And that probably has to do with the neuromodulators. And, you know, I, I think about like if I uh, uh, 
ghost pepper and you get a ghost pepper, uh, I might enjoy that experience because I like really hot food. You may have a tender mouth and think that's, you know, so you're, you're having serotonin release, I'm having dopamine release. Right. And the experience becomes entirely different. And it's kind of important to me because as I've thought about all these, I mean, uh, you know, I've, uh, your perceptions, your perceptions, my, my perceptions, my perception, there really is very little objective truth in the world. Right now. Uh, no, well, I mean, there never, never, there never has never, been. Yeah. yeah. And even... When you think about an objective truth, if, if it's a physical measurement, for instance, well, you know, um, we don't still have the resolution uh, to our ability to measure some physical attributes of things, you know, so there, there could be uh, truths that emerge that we haven't even thought about. Um, so, you know, I, I guess, you know, the point there to me is that, uh, again, to be mindful and respectful that the way people's brains process the uh, sensory data that comes to them is different and to not find fault with someone who uh, interprets an experience differently than I do. Uh, I don't happen to like a lot of popular music, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that there's not talent there or whatever. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't like it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you know, and then the, the further part of that is when you think about those, ex because those experiences are, are highly personalized, I think a lot of what we're seeing now, and you mentioned with music, is an increased ability to measure and predict what those how those experiences will be perceived. And um, what I see emerging is the ability to manipulate uh, those as well. Right. So, but you know, experiences um, are the, the patchwork, the quilt that that creates who we are. Uh, so it's yeah, pretty important. Which has been going on for years. So. This is someone who studied statistics in school. First thing you learn is that it's all manipulated data. That's all it is. And you're like, wait, what? This isn't like you don't like take no, no, no. If that if this outlier is screwing up everything, just throw it out. And you're like, wait, that's not what? That that always bothered me, but it also informed me that when you hear people and they're like, oh, well, 30. 3% of people, blah, blah, blah. You're like, yeah, show me all the data. Show yeah. me all the data. Show me all the data from the report. Show me all everything. Otherwise, I don't believe anything you're saying. You know, that's that's been an emerging field in economics because classical economics, essentially, as I understand it, treated everybody as a quant. You, know, right. you, you were just a, a number. And behavioral economics recognizes behavioral or cognitive biases and, and that uh, not everybody... Uh, makes choices in their best interest or right. in ways that would be, would seem logical. So I don't know, to me, there's, it's, it's really been empowering to appreciate um, that uh, I'm not right and you're not wrong <laughs> and, you know, try to be respectful of uh, the way that brains differ in how they process information. Absolutely. Uh, the body keeps the scores, another book out there and it talks, I mean, it tracks, like twins, identical twins that, you know, separated, that have the same, like, DNA, wiring, everything the same, nature, nurture, but they're put through different, you know, different directions, different pathways, come back together to totally different people. Yeah, I, I like to think about genetics as being kind of like, because um, genomics and all fascinate me as well, but... 
uh, your genome essentially is, establishes the guardrails uh, of the path you're taking and your environment uh, determines whether you're in the right lane, the left lane, or swerving back and forth. Yeah, and some the of them can be, they call it the ORCID, uh, where it's, you've went through this like negative experience, but the body has adapted and pushed it away. Like you carry it, but you have more of the traits from the other side. Like you have experienced something completely different know what that's like it is it does somewhat it impacts you a lot but you're still using the makeup from over on the other side of the, to put yourself in a reality that really wasn't there it's that that makeup that chemical makeup is very very powerful in that um so you are since I've known you, Drew, like, you know, we had the Midwest Venture Club. Like, you work with a lot of people who have, you know, that and you have a passion for helping those get to the next level. That I have an idea. I have some IP. Tell us about what that looks, that startup looks like today of where, how innovation is impacting you know, business and what's expected of those individuals. Cause I think there's a lot of people that are on, that are listeners to this podcast. I'm going to say like, I'm just going to pull out a number and I don't know, at least a hundred thousand, right? Like we're going <laughs> to, because the numbers don't matter, oh, right? I thought you said five. <laughs> the numbers don't matter. We just said it. It's just your perception. It's just, it's your, just perception. your perception. We have a hundred thousand no people that are listening. Yeah. There is no you like it to our five fans. <laughs> we appreciate you. <laughs> so tell us the, you know, leading individuals through that today. What is what is the experience of being a startup and looking for capital, and you know, trying to grow a business look like? Well, since we're um, talking about cognitive biases and all that sort of thing, I mean, um, the, you know, there is the idea, and on my email tagline, you may have seen that ideas without execution are hallucinations, and that's <laughs> that's paraphrased and. and, and stolen from somebody. I can't remember who it was, but, um, you know, ideas are, I've had a hundred since I've walked in the door today, you know, and, and they're, they're really, um, a commodity. They're, they're worthless until there's some execution around that. So I, you know, I get to deal with a lot of people, uh, really at all stages, some of them just at that idea stage. And again, I, you know, I think there's a high correlation between entrepreneurship and ADD. Um, and I think that's because, um, Partially because ADD imparts some degree of impulsivity. So in order to be risk-taking enough to, to take the risks of entrepreneurship, you know, that trait's a very positive trait in that, in that environment. Um, and then entrepreneurs are always, you know, searching the environment for <laughs> the next the shiny the next object. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I deal with a lot of people even at that stage where I've got, you know, I've got the seven greatest ideas that are going to change the world. And, you know, and, but I can't share them with you because you're going to steal them. I'm like, well... And I'm not going to steal them because I'm too old to mess with that, but nobody else is going to steal them either. Somebody's already had that idea. It's yeah. about getting that idea, um, you know, to a point where it can execute. And so uh, part of what I do is, you know, is I'm happy to have those conversations. Um, I hate to be the dream killer, but, you know, I, uh, you know, being um, a sober uh, second opinion is, is very important in those cases. But I, I've also had the benefit of, working with a lot of um, aspiring founders that have taken it beyond the idea. Um, and, you know, it's 
in that sort of environment, um, the wisdom of the crowd is very important. So I, I can offer one perspective or one data point, um, but the successful founders are ones, in my experience, are ones that solicit um, inputs from virtually any source they can get and parse that and, and you know, end up with what makes sense to them in the context of what they're doing. Um, so, you know, I mean, the, the uh, we talked about this a little bit before coming in here, but uh, the typical company that I would deal with, the founder that I would deal with, is heavily related to intellectual property. A lot of times it's digital. Um, when you go to, to a banker and say, you know, I've got this idea that's going to change the world, um, I don't really have any personal assets other than my house. I'm not going to pledge that. Um, I've got a company that's going to take a million dollars to develop, and we're not going to have any cash flow until it's um, in the marketplace. Um, would you lend me a million dollars, and if I need another million, will you give me that? And you know, bankers can't do that. They're regulated. They have, have to. They can't loan money without the expectation of being repaid. So it puts these innovation companies in a really tight spot. And when you look at, uh, you know, the the I have to speak on this, and I. Um, put a picture of uh, my favorite beer on the screen, and, and if you read the label close enough, it's, it's been continuously brewed since 1397, and you know 600 and some odd years. And the average life on the S&P 500 now, according to some sources, is less than 15 years. So companies that emerge, uh, or they they die, and so you've got to have a you know a new supply for an economy to be successful. Um, and these companies that are going to define that success going forward, by and large, can't have we can't qualify for traditional bank financing. So it, it really uh, relies upon um, seed stage, early stage investing, uh, often referred to as angel investing. Um, so yeah, that's been an area of, of interest to me. I've, I've done angel investing, but um, I've worked with lots and lots of founders um, that are on that course. Yeah. One of the uh, community groups that you've created just started back up, right? Yes. Tech on Tap? Yes. Tell us about it. Uh, well, the, the slogan is Collide, Connect, Collaborate. And the, the sense there, and again, from wor working with innovation-based companies, uh, they are tasked with um, integrating lots of skill sets, including technologies and sometimes disparate technologies, in order to execute properly. So. Um, that, those kinds of businesses are, are seldom represented by a single visionary founder. There aren't many Steve Jobs or, or um, Michael Dells in the crowd um, or Jeff Bezos, you know, fill them up blank. There's not that many of those. So they've got to collaborate. And in order to collaborate, you have to um, connect with someone uh, some way. And you know, we've talked about, yes, you can connect on the internet to anybody, uh, <laughs> yeah. but that doesn't mean that you're going to form any kind of a, a bond or a relationship. So in order to really connect, my, my belief anyway is that you have to collide, and collide means to be in, in physical proximity to one another. So Tech on Tap um, was founded because I was looking for innovation-based startups um, to be candidates for investment in Evansville. I didn't see any. And then all of my children and nieces and nephews didn't want to live in Evansville. And so I really was trying to, again, um, get the, the community at large to think more about being innovative. And then as I uh, progressed, you know, to tell the story about what a great place this is. So um, yeah. networking events really weren't uh, a good thing to be doing during COVID. And so we, we uh, stepped back, uh, but yes, just relaunched. And over the course, I started in 2012 as an individual, but uh, after about a year invited 
collaborators uh, as co-organizers. And then we also promoted through our email group, our membership group, um, the awareness of other events in the region that would be around innovation, around technology. Um, and over the course of that eight years, um, there were, you know, according to my best count, about 475 events, surprisingly enough, in proximity to Evansville that you could attend almost exclusively yeah. free um, that were around content that um, was particular to innovation um, and generally were networking events. So I'm very excited about getting it back in gear. And uh, yeah. yeah. How many uh, individuals are typically at an event? Well, we, it depends on the, the type of event. Uh, the range has been anywhere from four or five uh, on just like highly specialized topics. You know, like we had some events with coffee with a founder. So it would be other aspiring founders or early stage founders who would have coffee with uh, someone that was farther down the journey. Uh, and the largest event I think we ever did was about 110. And that was um, an Amazon native, uh, Kate Endress, uh, had a really exciting uh, startup that's um, co it was co-located in San Francisco and, and Evansville uh, was around uh, facial recognition and, and uh, computer vision and all that engineering was done in the Bay Area but um, their back office business and, and all was had a lot of Evansville so she came back you know kind of as a a bit of a victory uh, lap you know to yeah to talk about uh, how far she'd gotten with this so yeah. Yeah, I was about ready to ask, is there a, you know, a favorite startup, I mean, you know, a story that you'd like to share? It sounds like. Well, yeah, there is one. And um, it is a company called Curvo Labs uh, based in Evansville. And uh, Andy Perry is the co-founder uh, with his best buddy from middle school, Steve Sir Heinrich. Steve lives in San Diego. Andy's in Evansville. But Andy came to the first Tech on Tap in 2012 and had his cards close to his chest. Um, yeah. But he was, I'm working on a startup, you know, and, and so didn't tell me much more than that. And then he came to the second one and we talked a little bit more. So well, I'm looking, um, you know, it's big data. I'm looking for somebody to help me with that. And I had met somebody, you know, big data. So I tried to make the connection between them. And then in, in the um, meantime, uh, the Growth Alliance had a, a pitch practice um, for aspiring founders and Andy came to that and I attended it and I was like, Oh, this is what he's doing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Holy camole, this is the real deal. Yeah. And so Andy then was our I think he um was our fourth um event with Tech on Tap. And keeping in mind I I founded this uh, organization because I couldn't find startups and because my children didn't want to live here. So fast forward now and Curvo um is a is a healthcare supply chain uh, business. Um, it's data as a service. And the last count, I think they're in about 600 facilities across the United States. Um, they are, you know, there aren't many people that can do what they do anywhere in the world. Um, so I was the, the first non-friend or family investor in the company. So, you know, it was kind of, um, it, it felt good to, to be able to now have a company in Evansville that I could invest in and support. And then to, to close the loop, my younger son moved back here from uh, Seattle in 2015 and met Andy, and Andy offered him an internship while he was finishing uh, business school at USI. So he had 
uh, theory on Tuesdays and Thursdays and, and experience and, pra and practical side on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and was offered a job um, at Curvo out of, out of school. So it, it really trained, changed the trajectory of my son's life as well. And he's, he now wouldn't leave Evansville for anything. Um, he's since, since moved on from Curvo, but um, it's a great company. It's a great story. Um, I think that um, not that many people have know about it, but I, I think yeah. it will be a big story um, in the foreseeable future, uh, given their path. So Andy's a great, uh, a great person. He's a great mentor for my son. He's he's a the most talented founder I've worked with, and that's saying a lot. And he's an Evansville guy. <laughs> and Steve's no slouch either. So what product or service do you think is, uh, what do you use every day? That you know, I was, I was really struggling with that initially, and I, I was thinking, well, I can think of the things I really don't like uh, because <laughs> they, they really resonate with me. But see, that's the easy part. I, I always tell people, you can tell me what you don't like all day, but you can't tell me what you like because what you like is no, in here. And, that's and another part of the brain, right? Uh, it, if, it's, yeah. if it's easy to use and you don't think about it. So, I mean, I, the first thing that came to mind was the pour-over uh, coffee filter holder that I use, which is a piece of plastic. And it's, it's by Melita. But then I, I thought about more, and you know, I mean, I've, in my day, I've done a lot of surgery, and, and I've, I'm a woodworker, and I've helped renovate my son's house. So I've used lots and lots of tools, and it's like, uh, and I know humans aren't the only species that uh, make or use tools, but that's pretty cool, you know, what <laughs> the things we've figured out using. And I, I was just thinking. I helped my son renovate a house in Colorado, and this will be probably a really surprising answer. I'm going to do two of them, but um, when we did the kitchen, um, I, I bought cabinets from Menards. Uh, you can't get much stuff in the mountains, but Menards is located in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and, and I was able to have three truckloads of materials brought up to Colorado. And the kitchen cabinets um, were budget cabinets um, in stock. And it just was so elegant the way that they had uh, done these to interchange parts. I mean, the cabinets are built on a 32 millimeter system now, so there's a lot of interchangeability. But, um, but this you can think this is crazy. But the packaging was fantastic. And when you're <laughs> when you're unboxing a kitchen full of cabinets, there is cardboard everywhere. And when you're in the mountains of Colorado, that's a real problem. Yeah. And it, it was so elegant the way they did that. And I just, I thought to myself, you know, somebody who has installed cabinets and kitchens figured this packaging out. So I, I just was really, really admired that. And actually went back to the Menards here and told them, <laughs> nobody's going to tell you this but me, but it, this is really well done. Uh, and then the other thing, and then, you know, it's probably in the same vein, but um, Ryobi hand tools. And, you know, everything's cordless now. And Ryobi is has been a, a, a leader in cordless, and they're they're very budget priced. Um, but they standardize all their tools on their battery, which is kind of the inkjet um, cartridge deal. Yeah. But I mean, the, they have like 150 tools that are standardized on their batteries, and I probably use a Ryobi tool every day for something, be it blowing my leaves or you know. Um, Probably used three different ones yesterday. So uh, anyway, that yeah, that they're really yeah, well done. Hundred percent. Yeah, I switched everything over to them because it was like they are committed to the base. They are yeah. committed to the battery. They're actually a huge company, and they own uh, a number of brands are licensed. And Milwaukee is one of their brands. But um, yeah, they're they're um, they're very committed to um, cordless, and have done a lot of research around uh, lithium-ion power and. 
Um, so in spite of their budget um, availability as a budget tool, their my experience has been really good with them. Yeah. Hope they send me some to evaluate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. yeah. If you're listening, so if you're <laughs> listening, we'll, I can send you a list of the ones I don't have. We'll, we'll, we'll evaluate them all them your that, tools, yeah. leave a review, have you on the podcast. But, I only have about 30 of the 150, yeah. so. Hey, well, well, we, uh, but it was funny closing that loop because, yeah, tools, but I always find it funny No one, how many people don't see the computer or technology we use as a tool. Like if, if for some reason it's foreign to them when you say, well, I got to learn this program or I got to, you know, do this. And you're like, you do know that's just a tool to get your work done. Yeah. Not, it's not going to do it for you. Yes. So I always find that interesting. This can, sometimes a disconnect, like they see a tool as a hammer. I also am very blessed because my wife is a ceramic artist and most men, you know, have problems convincing their spouses of the need for tools. But when you are a ceramic artist, it's almost like being a dentist. I mean, there's a tool for every little thing you want to do. So she has more tools than I do. <laughs> All right. As we're 56 minutes now, you want to ask the physical space question? Yeah. I mean, we like that. Well, one you're more. a traveler. Yeah. Yeah. So, you said you have an RV. Where, where have you been? Like, you know, I, I hate to rain on the parade of the design professional, but the, the spaces that are that evoke emotion in me um, are historical, probably, even though you know, history is <laughs> subjective. <laughs> but, to, you know, to be in Washington, D.C., for instance, and walk in the halls of Congress or whatever, th those are very impactful for me. They're, and they're beautiful spaces, and they're very traditionally and thoughtfully designed. And you know, one other thing that sticks out for me is, is um, walking past um, a slice of redwood, of a redwood tree in California. I can't remember which forest it was in, but you know, it was I don't know, 16, 18 feet in diameter. And the, the growth rings were identified with years. You know yeah. what I mean? It, it, the, the tree <laughs> was uh, germinated in, in the year 950, if I recall correctly. Mm -hmm. It lived for a thousand years, and just to think about uh, all that's transpired in the world in that period of time, not that it witnessed it, um, but anyway, um, those those are very impactful uh, to me. Um, yeah, so probably more on the, the natural spaces. So you've talked about products that you use, tools. What uh, person, product, or brand is who's doing it right all around. Nobody sticks out to me. I, I you know, the again, I think that advertisers and marketers have become so uh, adept at tapping emotions and all that, that um, branding. You know, I, I try to almost be an anti-branding sort of guy and go with yeah. something that's not branded. So, I, you know, I see your um, your Apple products, and I would never say that. I mean, they don't. That doesn't speak to me. But mm -hmm. I, there's a management book I read called The Power of Simplicity, and so you know, I, I think about um, products that are able to accomplish um, big impacts with simplicity, and nothing comes to mind at the moment. But that yeah. that's what I tend to appreciate is just um, an elegant. I, you know, the elegance of design that, that accomplishes the the uh, outcome with the, um, the least complexity. Yeah. All right. Mike has a favorite. All right. Another surprise for you. These are questions. Sean can tell oh, you. I thought, I thought nope. maybe this it's was going to be uh, a pod, pod, pod no, decks. No, they have. Not a trick. You that one at me for a reason. No. <laughs> no. They get to go into the no cup, trick. too. We no don't need to ask the same question We're twice. We're trying to. 
So just, it's called pod decks and it's just an interview question and so far it's been enjoyable. Am I just supposed to answer this? Or I'm supposed to read it for the second. You can read it, and, and then we'll we answer it too. Yeah, well, I mean, if, maybe. Yeah, maybe <laughs> if I can. Um, if you had someone following you around all the time, what would you have them do? Um, you know, I mean, that's kind of an interesting thing too, because I was reading about um <laughs> the metaverse and about robots and all that sort of thing, and and. Uh, sentient robots and are robots going to be programmed to have moral yeah uh, a moral p- propensity and all that um and so I, you know that that would certainly be if it's not a sentient uh robot i'd be having it pick up my dirty clothes you know <laughs> whatever no not not that ah oh, that's yeah that's some uh, you know I can tell you who the person would be and what I'd have them do. Mm-hmm. It would be a guy named Steve Hartman, who was a correspondent for CBS News. And he gained fame with a, a series of interviews called Everyone Has a Story. And his skill is in interviewing people. And I don't know how he got his first interview candidate, but everyone after that, he turned the person that he'd interviewed back to the wall with a map and a dart, and they would throw the dart um, and wherever it would hit would Sorry. be the next location that Steve would go. And he did this in the 90s, and he would go to a public phone booth and open the public phone book yeah, and turn his head and point to a name in the phone book and go interview them. And it progressed to the point where uh, NASA was aware of it, and they flew an inflatable globe on the International Space Station and repeated the exercise, and it became everybody in the world has a story. And the takeaway from that <laughs> is that Everybody you pass uh, on the street, if you are willing to listen to them and if you are skilled enough in listening to them or or eliciting the responses, has a story. So I guess I'd I'd love to to have Steve follow me around and uh, take the time that I don't have or the interest that I don't show and and interview the common people, the people that that appear to me to be common and, and uncover uncommon stories. That's cool. All right. That's too good. I don't know. Mine would be like nothing. I don't know. <laughs> Skip. <laughs> that was too good an answer. Yeah. 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 I mine. I just. I. We've thought about it here, like actually doing that, right? And okay, how to you know scale? And mine would. It would be similar, just to just simply help me pull all like in order to scale. Like okay, this is what you need. You had this happened today this was this was this this and this opportunity like where does this fit and it's really putting the pieces together intentionally of how okay is that a week from now you want to do that is that yesterday that you wanted to do that and then once again go all right stop here's your 168 and you know where's it going to pan out those 168 hours that you have, where does it pan out? Because I, like you, have attention deficit, and it, it's shiny thing, shiny thing, shiny thing. And it is amazing, uh, but at times I can, I, I, the the pack that's with me drives. You know, I have some emotional. Int- I want them to be healthy at the same time, and you know, maybe help pull those details together a little. bit quicker if you would yeah for me at least if i was being funny it'd be a 
it'd be a fitness expert dietitian. And, <laughs> and like when you pick up a cookie, they'd be like, whack, <laughs> no, yeah. you can't eat that. And you're like, oh, okay. When you go somewhere, go to lunch with someone, they're like, nope, nope, he wants the salad if i could serve uh, one minute for a, a short story uh, yeah this i think fits in with the whole state department thing i, I was involved with the community foundation i met a uh, gentleman who was from up in Lagodi, and he was with midwestern engineers and he told me he was about 60 65 at the time he told me when he first graduated from college he worked on a project um, that uh, our company was uh, working on it was a sewer line and he said that um, there was a laborer on that uh, job who carried his own shovel and he said he talked to him one day about it and the man would take his shovel home every day and sharpen it and oil it and he the engineer talked to him and said why do you do that he said my work is with a shovel this is my tool and my the the pre preparedness of my tool reflects on my ability to do my work right yeah and he said you know here i am this recently graduated engineer with a big head about how smart I am. And I never really thought about the quality of my work or how important that is, you know, and to, and to have a man who, who I would typically look down as the lowest rung on the construction project, take that pride in a shovel mm -hmm. um, yeah. was really life-changing for him. Yeah, this tool provides, mm -hmm. yeah. Puts, it puts the food on the yeah. family's table ultimately too. 100%, yeah. Anything you're looking forward to going through 2022? Life. Life. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm uh, vaccinated and infected, so I think that uh, my <laughs> immune status is probably uh, the strongest it's going to be. And mm -hmm. um, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, yeah, you know, interpersonal things above all. Uh, there's no, there's no metaverse for me. Yeah. All right. So how do the, con uh, the listeners connect with you? What's, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Um, probably um, I would send them to Tech on Tap, uh, which is uh, T-E-C-H-O-N-T-A-P.com. And that kind of highlights the um, efforts that uh, we're making to continue to bring these events together. And uh, if there isn't an email link on there, I'll be sure there is one. Uh, that would be probably a good way to do it. Great. Mike, any closing thoughts on this one? No, I think it was it was good. So yeah, yeah. So listeners, uh, thank you so much for uh, taking an hour out of your day or multiple days to uh, to go through the experience with us. Listen, listening to the conversation, we enjoy bringing them. We hope that you will help us have more of them by liking, sharing, and recommending new individuals to come on to the podcast. We have a new list here of about 10 strong that are lined up and will come out twice a month. Um, thank you to the teams that put it together here. Thank you to VPS Architecture for partnering with us. You know, Extend Group, love this, uh, love the ability of the team here to get it out and publish it and uh, Keep us all going forward. So if you would like, share, uh, you know, it's on both websites, VPS vpsarc.com and extendgroup.com. It's real big, at 530 on main, the at symbol 530 on main, has a microphone as the logo. Click it and you'll see every episode that we've uh, recorded today. And there's also a forum.
If you have somebody that you want to be on it, invite them. Let us know. Drew, thank you so much for uh, your time today and your insight. Very, very valuable. Thank you for all you do in the community, making it a better place. Mike, thank you. Uh, once again, last last opportunity. We're going to wrap it up. Wrap it up. At 530 on Main. Thanks. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of At 530 on Main, hosted by Sean Collins and Mike Davis. Please leave us a review and share your thoughts on today's episode. Let us know how you've been inspired or what you would like to hear on future episodes. And if you've enjoyed the conversation, help us spread the word. Share us on your social channels. Message a friend. Rate the podcast. Without you, this experience would not be possible.